I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, uh, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest in public domain books and short stories. This week, I'm going to read some chapters of The Judgment on Janice by Andre Norton, a sci-fi book that seems so old that hopefully it won't get me for copyright. Uh, whatever. About the author... Oh, Andre Norton was born Alice Mary Norton, February 17th, 1912, and died March 17th, 2005. Was an American writer of science fiction and fantasy who also wrote works of historical and contemporary fiction. Uh, she wrote primarily under the pen name Andre Norton, but also under Andrew, Andrew, <laughs> Andrew North and Alan Weston. She was the first woman to be the Gandalf Grandmaster of Fantasy and the, and the Swiffa uh, Grandmaster and to be introduced by the Science Fiction and, uh, and Fantasy Hall of Fame. <clears throat> Fun facts, I've actually got a couple because this is an author that isn't trying to hide themselves like previous ones. Uh, this one, in 1934, she legally changed her name to Andre Alice Norton, a pen name she had adopted for her first book, published later that year, to increase her marketability, since boys were the main audience for fantasy. Another one, after graduating from high school in 1930, Norton uh, planned to become a teacher and began studying at the Floristone Mather College at Western Reserve University. However, in 1932, she had to leave because of the Depression. And be the, the Depression? Because of the Great Depression or because of her own depression that she referred to as the Depression? It began working for the Cleveland Library System, where she remained for 18 years, uh, latterly in the children's section of the Nottingham Branch Library in Cleveland. And in 1996 uh, interview, she recalled defending the acquisition of The Hobbit yeah, yeah, by J.R. Token for the library. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, don't really have much more fun facts, and I have a shitload of time before the goddamn grandfather clock goes out. Uh, I don't know. I haven't talked about my life recently. Uh, where have I been for the last week? Sick. Uh, how come I'm not putting out much episodes lately? Hate what I'm reading. Uh, how's that cat that's 25 years old doing? He's still alive. Actually, because of the other cats that are in the house. Now, one of the other cats has <clears throat> feline AIDS. And uh, keep sneezing huge globs of snot all over everything, all over the furniture, all over the walls. You're drinking a glass of milk. You look down, there's a glob of snot in the glass of milk. Uh, and apparently, at some point today, the cat with the feline aids decided to uh, shoot snot all over my 25-year-old cat's face. So he's just got this gook on his face. And the 25-year-old cat, all he cares about is meat. 
If you're not going to let me die, feed me meat. That's all he says. He walks around. He can barely get up the stairs, but if he feels like he's hungry and you haven't fed him enough, he will work his way up those stairs, even if it takes an hour, and sometimes it's so much exertion, he actually leaves a poop on the step. More than once, my girlfriend and I have had to clean up a poop on the step. He'll get all the way up there and just shout at you at two in the morning. And then I go like, oh, little man, do you want to sleep on my bed? So I pick him up and put him on my bed, and then he just turns around and gets back on the floor and shouts at me, and then he usually gets disgusted and leaves. Well, anyways, he's covered in snot from the uh, the cat with AIDS, and he uh, then he'll just go up and start begging, nah, I want meat. And he just keeps doing that all the time with this disgusting face. And so uh, I think after I do this episode, I'm probably gonna wash my 25 year old cat who won't die and uh, see if I can get that off of him. Uh, and also random hairballs and have to look look deep into his disturbing anus. When you got a cat that has no body weight anymore, it's just a skeleton with skin uh, strapped tightly around it. And so his his anus is uh, basically just kind of floating there between his hip bones, and it's just stretched across like a canvas. There's no little butt cheeks anymore, not like my healthy cats, where they have little butt cheeks, little ball sacks. This is just this bony cat with a disgusting tarp of fur with a little anus floating around. It's never in the same place twice. So I'm going to try and clean him and not look at that thing. And all the, oh, thank God, the grandfather clock. Okay, so with that, why don't we uh, dive into the first chapter of this new story. Judgment on Janice, uh, Andre Norton, Chapter 1, The Stuff of Dreams. Here, even the sun was cold, just a glitter of light to hurt the eyes and, and reveal the square, sullen blocks of the dimple. Niall, N-A-I-L-L, Niall, Refero, Renfro, I hate it. Already, another science fiction book with dumb names, Niall Renfro leaned his forehead against the chill surface of the window, trying not to think, not to remember to beat down those frightening waves of rage and frustration that brought a choking sensation to his throat uh, these past few days, a stone of heaviness to his chest. This was the Dipple, uh, the planet of Korwar, <laughs> the last refuge, or rather, prison for the planetless flotsam of space war. Forced from the home worlds by battle plans, none has, none of them have had had, that's two heads in a row, a voice in framing. Uh, they had been uh, herded here years ago. Then, when that war was over, they discovered that there was no return. The homes that they could remember were gone, either blasted in uninhabitable cinders through the direct action or signed away at conference tables so that the other settlers now had sole right there. The Dipple uh, was a place to rot, another kind of death for those planted arbitrarily within its walls. A whole generation of spiritless children was growing up in it, uh, to which this was only known way of life. But for those who would consider, Niall closed his eyes. Oh, Niall, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, limited space, yeah, curved walls, the endless throb of vibrating engines, driving a free trader along uncharted, quote, roads, unquote, of space. Bright, ex uh, exciting glimpses of strange worlds. Yeah, uh, weird creatures. <laughs> and new peoples. Some alien of mind and body and some 
Nah, resembling a small boy who lurked unobtrusively uh, in the background, uh, drinking in avidly all the wonders of a trade meeting. These he could remember. Then, confusion-fear, which formed a cold lump in a small stomach, a sour taste in the throat and mouth, lying in the cramped berth space of uh, an escape boat with warm arms about him. The shock of the Thrust away from the ship had always been his home, and the period of drift while a mechanical signal broadcast their plight to the coming of a cruiser to pick them up as the only survivors. Afterwards, the Dipple, for years and years and years, always the Dipple! Exclamation point. But there had been hope that the war would end soon, and that he was big enough, eh? Old enough, eh? Strong enough that he could sign on a free trader, or that they would somehow find credit deposits owned by Dwan Renfro and buy passage back to uh, Mahida. Wild dreams, both those hopes had been, the dull, dusty years had wasted them, shown them to be, to be, uh, to be, uh, flimsy shadows, and there was only, there was only the dipple. And that would go on forever, and from it there was no escape. Or if there was for him, uh, not for her now, whatever that meant. Niall wanted to cover his ears as well as close his eyes, and he could shut out the grayness of the dipple. But he could not shut out the weird little plaint, plaint, half-croon, half-moan sound monotonously from the bed against the far wall. Oh, he swung away from the window and came to stand at the side of the bed, forcing himself to look at the woman who lay there. Oh, she was nothing but a frail wraith of skin and bones. Not a Malani. (laughs) Niall wanted to beat his fists against the gray wall to cry out his hurt and rage. Yes, and fear as might a small child. It was choking him, huh? If only he could gather her up and run away from this place of eternal harsh light and cold grayness. Oh, it had it, it killed her as much as Dwan Renfro's death. She was withered by the ugliness and the hopelessness of the dipple. But instead of giving away the, to the storm within him, Niall, no, that's, I have to say this person's name. He's the protagonist. This is the person's, I gotta keep saying his name. I hate this. At least Dwan Renfro is dead, so hopefully we won't talk about him anymore. Knelt beside the bed, caught those restless, ever-weaving hands in his own, bringing their chill flesh up against his thin cheeks. Malani, he called her name softly, hoping against all hope that this time she would respond and know him. Or was it far more kind not to draw her back? Draw her back. Uh, Niall sucked in his breath. There was a way for Malani to escape. If, uh, if he were just sure, overwhelmingly sure, that no other road existed, gently he put her down. Her hands pulled the covering up about her shoulders. Once sure, dot, 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 he nodded sharply, though Maliani uh, could not see that the gesture of sudden decision. Then he went swiftly to the door, three strides down the corridor, and he was rapping on another door. Oh, it's uh, you, boy, the impatient frown on the woman's broad face smothered. Uh, she's uh, uh, worse. I don't know, uh, she won't eat, and the medco, dot, 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 all the woman's lips uh, shaped a word she did not say, uh, uh, he said uh, she ain't got a chance, yes, well, uh, for once he's right, she won't want any chance, you gotta face that boy, what else has he been doing for the past uh, weeks, 
Niall's hands were fists against the sides as he fought down a hot response uh, to that roughly kind truth. Yes, he returned flatly. I want to know. How soon? Well, the woman swept back her loose lock of hair, and her eyes suddenly uh, bright and hard, locking fast to his, uh, to his in an unmasked uh, question. Her tongue between her lips hmm, moistened them. All right, she closed the door of her own uh, quarters, firmly behind her. All right, she repeated as if assuring herself some way. But uh, when she stood beside Molly Aliani, uh, she was uh, concerned, her hands careful, even tender. Then she once more drew up covers and looked to Niall. Two days, uh, maybe a little bit more. If you don't do it, uh, where's the credits coming from? I'll get them. And she wouldn't have won it that way, boy. Oh, she'll have it. He caught up in his over tunic. You'll stay until I come back. Ah, the woman nodded. Stowar is the best. He deals fair and never cuts. I know. Niall's impatience made that answer almost explosive. And, uh, he hurried down the corridor, the four flights of stairs, and out into the open, and it was close to midday. There uh, were few here. Those who had been lucky enough to find casual labor for the day were long since gone. Uh, the others were in the communal dining hall for the noon meal, but there were still those who had business in certain rooms. <laughs> Furtive business. Corwar was, uh, was, except for the Dipple, a pleasure planet. Uh, its native population lived, frankly, to provide luxurious and entertaining living for the great and the wealthy of half a hundred solar systems. And in addition to these luxuries and pleasures, uh, there were fashionable vices, uh, uh, forbidden pleasures uh, fed by smuggled and outlawed merchandise. A man could, if he were able to raise the necessary credits, buy onto the Thieves' Guild and become a member of one of those supply lines. Ah, but there was no fringe of a small dealers who grabbed at the crumbs of thieves. Captains did not bother to touch. Oh, they were they lived precariously, yeah, dangerously, and uh, were recruited from the hopelessly reckless, from the dippled dregs, <laughs> pleasures of a kind that could not be brought from such a store, stow war, pleasures, or a way of easy dying for a beaten and helpless woman. Niall faced the pale boy lounging beside a certain doorway and met squarely the narrow eyes and the uh, rat-mouthed countenance. Uh, he only said a name, Stowar, a business boot, business. The boy jerked the thumb over his shoulder and rapped twice on the door. Take it, boot. Niall pushed open the door and felt like coughing. The smoke of a heeple stick <laughs> thick and glowing, there were four men sitting on cushions about about a bro's table, playing star and comet. Oh, my God. The click of the counters broken now, and then by a grunt of dissatisfaction as some player failed to complete a star. What's the... Uh, what's, uh, what's the blast? Stowar's head lifted perhaps two inches. He glanced at Niall, acknowledging his presence with that demand. Go on, spout it. Uh, we're all mates here. One of the players... Eh, Giggled. The other two made no sign uh, that they heard, and their attention glued to the table. Uh, you have Halus? How much? Niall came to the point at once. Uh, how much do you want? Niall made his calculation on the way over. If Mara Disa could be relied upon, one pack. No, uh, better two to be safe. Two packs. Two packs. Two hundred credits, Stowar returned. Stuff's uncut. I give full measure. Niall nodded. Stowar was the 
uh, was honest in his fashion, and if you paid for that honesty, 200 credits, well, he hardly expected to have it for less. The stuff was smuggled, of course, brought in from off-world by some crewmen who wanted to pick up extra funds and were willing to run the risk of post-port uh, inspection. I'll have it in an hour, Stowar nodded. You do that, and the stuff's yours. My deal, Graham. Niall breathed deeply in the open, driving the fug from his lungs. The fug? There was no use going back to their own room, turning over their miserable collection of belongings to raise 20 credits, let alone 200. Oh, he, oh, he had long ago uh, sold everything worthwhile to bring in the specialist from the upper city. No, no, there was only one thing left worth the 200 credits. Uh, himself. He began to walk, his pace increasing as he went, as he must do as swiftly, before his courage failed. He was trotting when he reached that other building, set so conveniently and so threateningly near the main gate of the Dipple, the off-planet labor recording station. There were still worlds, plenty of them, where cheap labor was human labor, not in, uh, imported machines, uh, which required expert servicing and for which parts had to be uh, planted in at ruinous shipping rates. And such places as the Dipple were forced beds for that labor. A man or a woman could sign up, receive settlement pay, and be shipped out in a frozen sleep, and then work for freedom in five years, uh, ten, uh, twenty... On the surface, that was a way of escape out of the rot of the dipple. Only uh, frozen sleep was chancy. There were those who never woke on those other worlds and who waited. Uh, those who were also in chancy Arctic worlds, tropical worlds, worlds that uh, men toiled under the lash of nature run wild. The sign was a gamble in which no one but the agency ever won. Niall came to the selector, closed his eyes for a moment, and when he opened them, he was put in his hand that lever, pulled it down, and then he would take a step from which he would uh, there would be no returning from, ever. An hour later, he was once more at Stowars. The star and comet game had broken up, and he found the smuggler alone. Oh, he was glad that he was uh, put down for the credit slip. Two fifty, Stowar read. From beneath the table, he brought a small package. Uh, two here, and you get fifty credits back. Signed up. Uh, for off-world, yes. Niall scooped up the packet, another credit slip. Ah, uh, yeah, you could have done different, Stowar observed. Niall shook his head. No, ah, uh, maybe you're right at that. There, There's two kinds, all right. What you got, what you wanted, it's all prime. Niall's pace was almost a run as he came back to the home barracks, and he hurried up the stairs and down the corridor, and Maradissa looked up as he breathlessly entered. The Medco was here again. Uh, director sent him. Oh, what'd he say? Uh, the, uh, the same. Uh, two days, maybe three. Niall dropped down on the stool by the table, and he, could, uh, he had believed Maria earlier. This confirmation would not have made that much of a addition, uh, difference. Now he had rolled the package from Stowar to small metal tubes. Oh, they were worth it. Uh, worth selling himself into slavery on an unknown world. Worth everything that might come to him there in the future because of uh, what they held for the dying woman who was... His mother. Helius, the powder uh, contained in one of those tubes, was given in a cup of hot water. Then Malani Renfro would not lie here in the dipple. She would be uh, reliving uh, for a precious space of time the happiest day of her life. Uh, it, it, if uh, the thin thread that held her to this world had not broken by that time, she roused from that sleep. There was the second draught to be sure. She had to live in terror, defeat, and pain. She would die in happiness. He looked up to meet Maria's gaze. 
Now give her this, he touched her dear tube. If, if there is need, you'll do the other. You won't be here. What's the worst, to go out now and not to be sure? He tried to answer and came out of him and choked cry. Uh, oh, God, there's a child here in the room with me. Hi, bitch. <laughs> what the hell do you want? I'm killing time while I wait for my water to boil. So you come down here to interrupt me in yep. the middle of reading my goddamn book for the podcast? I'm with Jackie and she motioned me in. Don't motion her in. <laughs> get, get back to Jackie. No. Yes. What do you want? Don't do with the punches. Are you feeling any better? Uh, That's not sounding good. Yeah. Do you have a fever? I don't Let me touch so. your head. What the fuck? Now your head feels nice and cool, kind of damp and I'm dewy. Leaving. I'm leaving. You got a kind of a layer of sweat on you <laughs> that I find offensive. <laughs> All right, back to my story, you jackasses. Actually, uh, instead of reading the story, this the uh, the feeling of the child's forehead reminds me a lot about people with body integrity identity disorder. Uh, it's a condition where you're basically born looking at your left arm and saying. Uh, that's crap. I don't want that on me. It shouldn't be on me. It just feels like it should be gone. So they beg doctors to amputate their body parts and stuff. And usually they have to go to weird places like Russia to get a doctor to go do it for them there kind of thing. Uh, it's a it's a weird kind of uh, disorder that's very unfortunate. And uh, But it also, I imagine there's got to be other disorders, lesser known ones, like people who just want to apply things to their forehead. People with wet, greasy foreheads like my child just had because they've also got the same cold I had. Uh, what do you do if you want to apply things to your forehead? Oh, you can apply like a lip balm. That's boring. It doesn't do anything. You want something with purpose. If you're going to put something on your head, you want to know that that's made to be put on your forehead, which is why Stephen Dorglas, who's been suffering from this uh, condition for the longest time, that's Stephen Dorglas of Dorglass Incorporated, D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S.com. They're dedicated to fabricating, professionally installing the highest quality glass products for the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory combined with their years of experience makes them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, eh? integrity, and more importantly, they're discreet. So discreet that when he suffers from his own condition, where he's like, I just want to put crap on my forehead. I just want it. It's I want my head with a viscous of something on it. I want to walk around, but I want people knowing. I don't want people seeing that I got a glistening wet forehead all the time. They're going to think something's wrong with me. It's a horrible secret that I keep to myself. At the end of a long day of work, installing Dorglass Incorporated uh, professional products, I just want to go home and put like Vicks Vapor Rub on my forehead and just watch TV. But I don't want to do Vicks Vapor Rub because it's not made to be put on your forehead. I just want something to put on my forehead. That's when he found out <clears throat> about the really old uh, product called Head On, which you apply directly to the forehead. There's a commercial where it says Head On, apply directly to the forehead, and they say it three times in a row, and they don't describe what it's for. And they got in trouble because they tried to say that it's supposed to help you with headaches by applying it to your forehead, and it doesn't help with shit. There's nothing, it's a holistic thing, which is bullshit, and there's nothing about it that's actually going to help you with a headache. So they decided to just not describe what it's for, just have a commercial that just says, apply it to your forehead, and that's it. And hopefully people just go buy it and apply it to their foreheads. I think that they realize there's a market for people that have an obsession with applying things to their forehead, but they don't want to just put anything on their forehead. They want to put something on their forehead that has purpose on putting on their forehead. So so uh, this is perfect for Stephen Dorglas. One day when he sees that commercial, oh God, he goes out and buys it. And so every day when he gets in the morning, when he's getting ready to go to work, he applies a little bit of a head on directly to his forehead. And he's like, oh, a product that's made to be applied to the forehead for my weird fetish of putting shit on my forehead. I am satisfied. Well, that went on for 
decades, from like 2006, but then they went out of business because they got in trouble by the Better Business Bureau. And so after that, uh, he's had to get underground supplies of it, underground supplies in weird places like Russia, where you can go to get limbs removed. So he's uh, been hoarding these things in his garage, and it's like, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, You could go and you could try to figure it out yourself. I'm sure it's just lip balm, but he doesn't care. It's the fact that this is a product made to be put on your forehead, and it satisfies his weird freaking urge. So the thing is, is if he ever runs into someone that seems to be wiping their forehead a lot, or constantly touching their forehead, or looking fussed, looking real fussed like a prize horse because they can't do anything to their forehead, and he'll see it. He can, he, he can see each other, one forehead person to another. They can sense each other. It's almost like a secret handshake. And so then he'll say, oh, I got something for you, and he'll pull out a stick of head-on. And then the person will go, oh my god, that's head-on. That's been, uh, that's been discontinued. That's been illegal in this country for like the last 15 years. And he goes, shh, take this stick free of charge. Just give me a good word of mouth. And that word of mouth has helped him get <clears throat> clients like Pottery Barn, William Sonoma, Sherman Williams, Portillo's, The Salt Cave, and Applebee's. Well, with that, why don't we uh, retire to the master bedroom where you can talk sexy to me about the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. I'm coming. Hold on. Just hold your... Oh, wow. What the hell kind of suit is that? You're, uh... You're just wearing, like, a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans. You got a sign around your neck that says bride. And you look weirdly Irish. Why is that? Ah, well, now you're gesturing to the book that you've got on the heart-shaped bed. My beautiful heart-shaped waterbed here for the master bedroom where I make the sex. It says, Kip McBride Gets a Wife by Amy Barry. About Kit McBride Gets a Wife, the four McBride brothers have their worlds turned upside down and their precious younger sister secretly places an advertisement for a mail-in order bride. Kit McBride knows that uh, Bucks Creek, Montana is no place to find a wife. Between him and his three brothers, plus little Junebug, <laughs> yeah, they manage all right on their own. Uh, thank you very much. But unbeknownst to Kit, his sister is sick to death of cleaning cooking, and mending for her big brothers. So she places an ad in the matrimonial news, what the hell, to get them hitched. After Maddie Mooney immigrated from Ireland, ah, well, there's that tie-in, she found employment with an eccentric but poor widow. When her mistress decides to answer an ad for a mail-in order bride, Maddie is dragged along for the ride to Montana. But en route to the West, Maddie is suddenly abandoned and left to assume the widow's name, eh, position, and matrimonial prospects. With no other recourse in the wilderness, Maddie must convince Kit she's the wife he never knew he needed. Uh, is praise. You want to hear praise? Uh, a sweet, laugh-out-loud romantic comedy set in the wilds of Montana. Kit McBride gets a wife. will have readers smiling from ear to ear and set their hearts all flutter. Maddie Mooney is a plucky, enduring heroine, and Kit McBride is an ideal frontiersman hero with a cast of delightful secondary characters, including the irrepressible younger sister, Junebug. Wow, this Junebug seems like it's really worth reading the book. This charming romance is guaranteed a place on your keeper shelf from Elizabeth Everett, author of A Perfect Equation, another book that probably no one's read. So that's Kit McBride Gets a Wife by Amy Barry. It's a category Western romance and also historical romance. It's paperback for 17 bucks, coming out on August 23rd. You get it from Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books a Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Andy Bound, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, with that, uh, I'm no longer aroused. Uh, you 
just take that goddamn sign off your neck and let's go back down to the uh, library and uh, continue reading this book. Uh, what's the worst not to know? They've given me two hours. Oh, you'll swear to me that you'll be with her. See, he unrolled the slip of 50 credits. This. Take this and swear it. Niall! Oh, there was a spark of heat in her eyes. All right, boy, I'll swear it. Though we don't have much to do with any of the old gods or spirits here, do we? I'll swear, though you need not ask that. And and I'll take this, too, because of Wace. Wace. He's got to get her out of here. Well, not by your road, either. Her, uh, turn the page. I'm reading an actual physical book. Hands tightened convulsively on the credit slip. Niall could also almost feel the fierce determination radiating from her. Wace, Disa, God, these names, would be free of the dipple uh, if her mother would uh, fight for him. Where'd you, where'd you sign for, she asked as she went to heat some water container. Oh, uh, some world called Janice. He answered, not that it mattered. It would be a, a harsh frontier planet, very far removed from the Dipple, or Core War, and he did not uh, want to think of the future. Janice, Mara repeated, never heard of that one. Listen, boy, you ate anything in this morning? I, I got some patter cakes, uh, made them for waste. He must have got labor today. He ain't came back. Uh, let me No, I'm shipping out, remember? Niall managed to shell a smile. Listen, Mara, uh, you... You see the things afterwards, won't you? Yeah, he looked out of the room, nothing to be taken with him. He didn't carry baggage in a freeze cabin. Again, he paused to master his voice. Anything here yeah, you could use is yours. Not much left, except... And he went directly to the box where he had kept his papers and a few valuables. His mother's name bracelets. And the girdle Dwan had traded for Sargal when they were since gone. God damn it. Niall sorted through the papers quickly. All these claim sheets, they have never been uh, uh, to use. Might as well destroy them. Eh, they're identity discs. <laughs> these go to the direct afterwards. But there's this. Dial balanced in his hand. Dwan Renfro's master ring. Sell it and see. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, she has flowers. Dot, dot, dot. She loves flowers. Dot, dot, dot. Trees. More dots. Growing things. More dots. I'll do it, boy. Somehow he was certain Mara would. The water was steaming now, and Niall measured a portion into a cup, added the powder from the tube, and together they lifted Maliani's head and uh, coaxed her to swallow. Niall again nestled one of the wasted hands against his cheek, but his eyes were for the faint curve of the smile on his blue lips, the tinge of happiness, which was a gossamer veil over the jutting of the cheekbones, the sharp angles of the chin and jaw, no more mourning. Oh, just now, then, a whisper of a word or a name. Some he knew, uh, some were strange, and out of the past, uh, he had not shared. Maliani was a girl again, huh? (laughs) Back at her home world of shallow seas, bearded with rings. Oh, beaded. That seems weird if it's bearded with rings. Beaded with rings and circles and islands. Ah, there were... Tall trees rustled in the soft breeze that always came in late spring. Will, uh, willingly, uh, she had traded for her life on a ship, following Dwan Renfro uh, out of the reaches of space, marrying a man uh, who no world but a ship home. Uh, Be happy, Nihal put down her hand and uh, given her all he had left to give. This last retracing, past care, sorrow, and unforgivable present into her treasured past. 
You there? Uh, you Niall Renfro? And the man in the doorway wore the badge tunic of the labor agency. A stunner swung well to the fore of his belt. Ah, uh, he was a typical hustler. Uh, one of those guards prepared to, uh, to, to see the catch on board of a waiting transport. I'm coming, Niall said, adjusting his blanket. He got to his feet, and he, got to, he, he had to go fast, uh, not looking back, never looking back now, and he halted to rap on Mara's door. I'm going, he told her. Yeah, will you watch? Oh, I'll watch. And I'll do all the rest, just like you wanted. Good luck, boy. But it was plain that she thought it was a wasted wish. Niall walked uh, for the last time down the hall, trying to make his mind a blank, or at least uh, hold the thought that Maliani was out of the dipple in, a, in another way, or a far better way. The guard gathered up two more charges and delivered them with the processing section of the port, and Niall submitted without question the procedure uh, that would turn him from a living, breathing man into a helpless piece of cargo, a valuable enough once it was delivered intact and revived, but what he carried with him into sleep of the frozen turn the page was the memory of that shadow smile he had seen on his mother's face. Oh! How long was that voyage in that direction among the stars? For what reason? Save cargo carrying Niall was never to know or really care and that Janus was a frontier world, was a fact, or else human labor would not be necessary there. But that was the sum total of his knowledge concerning it, and, and he was not awake to see the huge dark green ball grow on the pilot's vision plate, uh, develop wide continents and narrow seas, and land choked with dense green forests, and as such forests as more civilized plants had long since forgotten could draw nourishment from the soil and darken most of the countryside. The spaceport on which the cargo tailed down was a stretch of bare rockland, scarred and darkened by the years of flame lashing from arriving and departing ships and extending irregularly from that center where the clearings were made by settlers. <clears throat> Garths had been hacked out of the forest and bare spots and some dark green. A green, eh, with a hint of gray, as if on uh, some of the wide leaves, those giant trees and the avid saplings and the bush about them and the film of silver had powdered. Men cleared fields, setting disciplined rows of their own plants, crisscrossing in the holdings with their logs of the forest hollowed, split, and otherwise forced into serving as shelters for the men who had downed them. This was a war between man and tree. <laughs> and here, a runner of the vine. There, a thrust of bush, a sprout of sapling, tongue and out, uh, to threaten a painfully cleared space. Always the forest waited, and so did that which was within the forest. The men who fought that battle were grim, eh, silent, and iron-tough as the trees, as uh, stubborn as space-scoured metal. A uh, hundred years earlier, that war had begun when the first survey scout had marked Janus, for human settlement. One attempt had been made to conquer the world from man and had failed. Then these last off-worlders had come and stayed, but still the forest had been cleared out only a little, a very little. Oh, settlers are moving portward uh, from the scattered garths, gathering at the town that they hated, but which they had to endure for their link to the off-world. These were hard men, <laughs> bound together by stern, joyless religious belief and a firm self-confidence and determination, men who labored steadily throughout the daylight hours, who mistrusted beauty <laughs> and ease of part deadly sin, who forced themselves and their children, their labor slaves, into a dull pattern of work and worship. Uh, uh, such came now to buy fresh labor in order to fight the forest and all it held.
Well, that's a nice little chapter. Uh, why don't we go down to the smoking room and review what the hell we just read? Okay, now let's get all settled here in the smoking room and try to review this, but looks like, uh, looks like my wife is down here sewing. Do you have to sew now? It's no longer your so, uh, smoking room. It's now my sewing room. <laughs> I hate this. That's what happens when you let a woman move into your house. You're ruining everything about single Glenn. You're ruining it. <laughs> you were sad. I was not sad. You were. You needed me. Let's review this story. Uh... God damn it, between the bird and the sewing. You put the birds in this room, and now you put your sewing machine in the here. The birds are cheerful. Let's recap the story. Uh, what did we learn? A guy named Niall, which is one of the worst sci-fi names I've ever had to say out loud in my life. It's also the name of a member of One Direction. <laughs> Niall has uh, decided that he's uh, his mom is dying, apparently, and he's going to sacrifice himself to save her life, even though he lives in some sort of hellhole. I forgot the name of the uh, town that he lives in, but whatever. Uh, so he decides to sell himself into a uh, type of slavery, and uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, we're going to find out the next chapter what the planet Janus is, where he's going to be sent, because apparently that's where they, the man is fighting nature, and that's their job. I don't know. What's good about this story? Uh, guy likes his mom, and not in a creepy way. What sucks? Uh, the slavery aspect. What do we learn? Uh, we learned that if you let someone into your life with love, they will turn on you and install birds in your smoking room and turn it into a sewing room. <laughs> you love it. Well, with that, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.